this is the first time where the biggest hurdle is everybody forgetting what they think they know. The fact that it can code was an accident. They had no idea that it can code. It was somebody asked it and was like, wait a minute, let's ask more questions. You talk to mm. experts, the smarter people get about this technology, the more you hear, I have no idea. Welcome to Building Better Games. This entire episode was written and voice recorded by AI pretending to be us. Just kidding. But right now, hearing that is more believable than it's ever been in the past. As leaders in game dev, it can be tough to know how to answer questions about AI, like, will AI completely change my job in the future? Are there ways I can use AI to be more effective today? How will AI impact dev and creative work in the coming years, especially in games? To help us work through this, we're happy to have Bill Frischling with us. Bill has been studying AI for the past 10 years and LLMs like ChatGPT for the past year and a half. He is a VP of AI at FiscalNote, and he spends time trying to figure out how to better his own and others' lives via AI. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much, Ben. I appreciate it. Well, so why don't you give us a little bit of background on why AI is something that you've spent so much time thinking and exploring about? If I'm being honest with myself and everybody else, it's because inherently I'm lazy and I will do any amount of work to make sure that I don't have to do any work. So I've been working on the internet and technology since when I looked it up 17 days after the first web browser came out. So I missed the first 17 days. Got it. And almost all of it has been two common themes. One, I'm usually working in a space where everybody's making it up as they're going along. So I enjoy that, and Lord knows AI fits that bill. Mm -hmm. And two, it's usually about automation. I can't stand repetitive work. If I'm probably honest, I can't stand any work, and it's back to that contradiction, but it's true. It's I will spend an unbelievable amount of time. I spent a month getting my garage door to open two years before Alexa came out, figuring out how to say open the pod bay doors to get my garage door to open. Nice. I can't justify it, but I kind of like it, and it still works. This might sound like a weird question, but the question that comes up for me is like, what does AI mean? If you just read the internet and like all the things people are saying about AI, you could get the impression that we're all going to die in the next five years. You could get the impression that nobody is going to have a job in the next six months. From your perspective, and I know that I'm appealing to your personal view and your opinion here, but what does AI mean for the world? Like, what is it all about? first answer the key question that you asked there is the robots will kill us all. I don't think it's in five years, but we all know it's coming and let's just accept that and move on. Um, nope, nope. It's like fighting against the wind. To give a long enough time horizon. It's like Bill, Bill's out here fixing his garage door and not doing nothing to save us from our imminent doom at all. <laughs> to quote Kent Brockman, I welcome our new alien overlords. You just have to start sucking up early. Right. <laughs> but in all seriousness, AI is inherently an oxymoron because everything that the, the craze is going on right now with generative AI, it's as dumb as a brick and it doesn't make a difference that it's as dumb as a brick. There is no intelligence in artificial intelligence. It's a word. What it really is, is computing power, machine learning and other algorithms. And some of these algorithms literally go back to Ada Lovelace in the 1800s. Mm. There's finally enough computing power to throw all these things at it. So the actual theory behind transformers and some of the pieces that are feeding generative AI has been around for decades, but it literally would have been 10 years ago, it would have been essentially the sum total of all computing power on the planet for something like 100 years. And now it's 
flip some dollars over to AWS and or server and you've got it. Right. It's not quite that cheap, but essentially that's what it is. There's nothing intelligent going on right now behind generative AI behind the scenes, but it's kind of like saying when you say Google, you probably mean Google, but what you really mean is search the internet. It's become the word. It's AI. Right. Is there any intelligence behind it? No. It's just sorting through all of the statistical odds and it just happens to land on something that always sounds like perfect English. It sounds contradictory, but literally that's what's happened. If I understand what you're saying, we can very easily find ourselves imagining that there is some kind of nucleus of super intelligence. But what you're saying is actually it's the scale. It's the platform that exists now that's really unlocking all these doors for us. Exactly. And that's where you'll hear people talk about, oh, the coming of artificial general intelligence, which is basically the robots killing us all scenario or world peace. Really, there's no middle ground there. And let's be clear here. It's the most incredible technology I've seen in 30 years in terms of the potential application, mainly because it's the first general technology I've seen that you don't need a programmer to do most of the things to do it. You can sit down and it's getting over mm-hmm. the hurdle of I'm talking to a computer and we have 10 years of talking to Alexa and Google where we think we have to talk a different way and it's unlearning it. No, you just talk to it. It doesn't do what you want. Explain it better and it will do a better job of doing what you want. It is in no way intelligent, which sounds odd, but it's literally true. It's just the way it was trained. It's the scale. It's the way it was built. So you can use it like it is. But this path is, at least in my opinion, there's no way it's going to lead to artificial general intelligence. There needs to be another leap, another something. We can cross that bridge later. But for now, okay, but it could do a heck of a lot of stuff. Let's use it. Where are the other areas where you're like, wow, there's a big diff between the sort of media hype storm and like what's really happening? So this cycle that we're going through for the most part, the media, it's normal. There was a time in the first dot-com boom where it was like, here's my company. Oh, it's my company, dot-com. Now you're worth a billion dollars. What did you do strategically? You added dot-com to the end of your name. Mm -hmm. Then everyone realized that's BF. There's going to be all sorts of players popping up, getting crazy valuations. They're going to be bankrupt. We're going to read about all the crazy waste of money. And then at the end of the day, this is just going to be another tool that's probably going to be pretty essential to a lot of people's lives. No different than how often you converse, hey, have you used Google? It's not even going to come up in conversation. It's just assumed. Right. That's the place we're going with it. The other big misconception I think that comes up is that it's going to take all of our jobs. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. There will be jobs that are going to be taken. That always happens with any new technology. It's out. It's efficiency. There are going to be ways to do things better, to do things faster. People can make money. Therefore, it will happen. You could either scream about it and be left behind. Right. Or you could be early adopter, embrace it and lean into it. Just be ready for things are going to be a little bit confusing for a couple of years on the workspace. Work always takes a little bit longer in corporation and it will smooth out at some point. But it's going to point in a logical direction in the next year or two where there's problems and where there isn't job-wise. Right now, anybody who's talking about it is just like, hey, can I possibly get more clicks? So let me talk about how many jobs are disappearing. They have no better idea than anybody else. We're in the first 30 seconds of this movie. We are nowhere near where it's going. So what is your advice for people who are seeing this and maybe feeling nerve-wracked by how quickly it's all happening and like what are the kinds of things they can do how should they think about it what what do you think so and again this is purely my opinion which let's be clear eh, could be right but uh, you know it's my opinion this is the first time where the biggest hurdle is everybody forgetting what they think they know you talk to experts the smarter people get about this technology the more you hear 
I have no idea. <laughs> and I've had open conversations where they're, they say, like, we had no idea it can do this until somebody just tried or somebody told us it was doing it. The fact that it can code was an accident. They had no idea that it can code. It was somebody asked it and was like, wait a minute, let's ask more questions. So in terms of any trepidation, in terms of what people are thinking, congratulations, you are no more than 18 months out of date from the nerdiest nerd and five months out of date than anybody else if you haven't touched it. There is no massive lead that you need to catch up on. Everybody's winging it for the most part. But the biggest thing where I say unlearning things is we pretty much have our entire lives for most people of computers are hard things you need to call technical people. I spend most of my time essentially explaining to people like the equivalent of it didn't do what I want. What did you want it to do? I wanted the background to be black. Try this. Type you didn't do what I want. Can you please make the color black? Hit return. And the color turns black, so to speak. I, I'm making up that example. Because we know deep in our bones, it's impossible to talk to a computer like that. We know we can't talk to Alexa like that. And now we have to unlearn it because it's completely all it does is work against you. We are now working with product managers where it's, hey, guys, we're starting to realize you can literally take your product requirements in some cases and without doing anything, just give it your product requirements, and then just correct it as it's going along. You don't need to re-explain it. You don't need to code it. Just tell it what you want. And if it doesn't do what you want, give it more details. And that's really all people need to do is don't be scared of it. And don't literally, the second you say, can I, just ask it. It'll tell you if it can't do it. If you'd be like, can you get me a cup of coffee? It will politely explain, no, it can't get you a cup of coffee. And then if you want to have fun, explain, what if I gave you a robot? Which And now it starts explaining, well, what if you get your junior board and hook it up to your Raspberry Pi? And it will explain to you how to make the robot if you lead it down that path and probably do a pretty good job of it. And then it will say, sure, now I can get you the cup of coffee mm. if you want to go that way. Mm -hmm. But does that make sense? It's like a mental block. Like think about every time you've had conversations with, I'm assuming everyone has parents who call for tech support and you say, did you click the button? Yes. Which button? The red one. What did we tell you about clicking the red button? No, don't, <laughs> click the red. don't click the red button. Click the blue button. It's literally like that. It's not doing what I want. Well, then do a better job telling it what you want. I had a random conversation with my aunt and uncle about my young cousin, and they were like, hey, um, do you have any advice about how we can get her set up, like better understanding of technology? Because like a lot of the schools around here, they don't really offer a lot of insight or wisdom or training around this sort of thing. And I said, I don't know exactly what the right answer is, but I think that in the next 20 to 30 years, a human being's ability to interface effectively with machines is very much going to define their productivity. And so I was like, the only reasonable thing I can say, like right off the bat, is just send her to programming classes and see if she likes it. You know, what's so interesting is the thing I never would have guessed is that I, cause in my mind, there was always going to be like a programming class code and then everyone else. Right. And that the, that the programming class would be more productive due to their skills, allowing them interface directly with machines. What I never conceived of was a world where every single person that would be fully democratized machine interface would be fully democratized. And, and that's, I think kind of what you're pointing at right now. And it's like at the same time, exciting and scary, right? Because like, I think that barrier was a barrier we just, I don't think anyone really knew was just going to be evaporated, you know, overnight. <laughs> so. Oh, absolutely. And like everything else, the needle's going to move. Do I think there's still going to be a need for programmers? Yeah. Do I think oh, there's going to be, a, yeah. yeah. Is there going to be a need for as many programmers? I usually describe it to folks as, can you do your job in your sleep? If so, you should probably be worried. 
if you could describe your job to an intern, this can do your job. If you're doing things that take skill, experience, instinct, I know, you know, a lot of corporations hate the phrase gut, but I'm on the other end of 30 years experience. You get some gut feelings about some things where you look and go, nope, that's right. Nope, that's wrong. And you can't explain it. You just know this is right. This is wrong. It's not there. And I don't see it getting there in this leap. But if your job is like data entry, if your job is I'm parsing JSON from APIs or I'm doing what I'm most concerned about is actually the entry level. Where this is, is most of the entry level jobs are usually grunt repetitive work. Okay, well, that's usually part of learning. Well, companies usually aren't known for being charitable. It's corporations, it's capitalism. All right, where's the front door then where you get in? It's an open question. I'm not saying I'm sure something will work out. It's not like companies are going to say, I guess we don't need to hire junior people to train up. But the traditional path is going to disappear pretty fast. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing that's interesting is no matter how popular programming has gotten, there seems to always be more of a need for programmers. And it'll be interesting to see how that both impacts it and then simultaneously expands it. Because I think one of the reasons is as we figure out how to interact with more and more things digitally, the need for programmers just continues to rise. Agreed. And AI is likely to expand the space in which we are able to interact with things digitally. So the question is, does it fully account for, in its own way, the coding requirements there? It's like, and and I see it sort of as a shift of like, now maybe there's going to be a lot less people developing websites, but there's going to be a lot more people figuring out how to, you know, sort of do hardware to software stuff and things like that. It changes the use cases as opposed to the overall need, which actually is kind of funny because, Bill, you talked about this idea of like the capitalistic angle on all of this. And I, you know, I remember back in the, you know, early search engine days and when the internet was new, it was like these companies would come onto the scene and wherever there was a source of major innovation, there was a lot of money to be made. Like, it's like, we have ownership of this concept. And now, you know, with like auto GPT, so everyone went from talking about chat GPT, now everyone's having a field day about auto GPT. And it's like, this thing's on a GitHub repo, you can go download it for free right now and have your own little like AI virtual assistant. And I think it's what one of the things that's happening that I think is also interesting is like, I don't know if this will pan out, but there is almost this like decoupling from not every new innovation is automatically owned by some corporation and shielded and, and that you have to pay them for. This stuff's just, like half these programmers are out there just doing it for free and just making yeah. cool shit that anyone can immediately get productivity out of. And like, what an exciting time to be alive. But you made a very good point in terms of where the bar is moving. Yeah, I'm gonna speak outside of my comfort zone and squarely in both of your comfort zones mm-hmm. by using a probably bad analogy, so please bear with me. When folks were coming up, when the developer wrote adventure back in the 1970s, which I loved for the Atari. Nobody was looking and saying, there's going to be storyboard artists. There's going to be that it was going to move more cinematic, whatever else. There was a natural evolution and progression as things grow. Nobody started out saying, wait, to make adventure, we need this team. And these are the production values. You were making it up and you have to make it up to get to the next step and get to the next step and get to the next step. The biggest thing that I find that in fairness, you know, usually tends to freak people out, and it's not entirely unwarranted, is there's nobody who's sitting here saying, I know. That's part of the media hype, is in a vacuum, everyone's going to start talking to experts who are going to tell you, this is going to blow up, or this is going to be worth money, or this isn't, or your job's going away, or that. 
But it's back to, I talk to other folks in the industry who are a heck of a lot smarter than me, the folks who are actually writing the code that's doing this. I know how to use these. I'll be the first to say, I'm applied on the development end. I couldn't write a generative AI from scratch to save my life, nor would I pretend to. But I sure as heck know how to use it in the toolkit. These folks are saying they have no idea. They'll talk philosophically, but they'll land in the same place, which is, we're going to have to see where it goes. Like, I could see this being logical. I could see that being logical. Right. So... Okay, so that we talked a little about what AI is. We've talked some about where it's going. And really, second one is we don't know, yeah. but it seems like it's going in a lot of places and we're figuring it out step by step. One of the things that I loved in some of the conversations we had with you before this podcast was where you gave some like general tips of how to use it. So you've already kind of said, hey, just try hooking it up and ask it to do stuff and see what happens and try to clarify it and sort of talk to it like you would talk to an assistant and see how it performs, see if it can handle it. But what are some other tips you would give or you do give? Because like, you you know, you're a VP of ad at a a company, so you're probably doing some amount of like, hey, here's ways to use this well to people that are like, you know, they're not in game development, but they're in software development. They're doing engineering or product management, all these different things. Like, how do you use this well? How do you use it? So, wow, that's a lot of ground. So let me start on the recommendation, like here's a place to start and then go through the Mm -hmm. tips. Is that cool? So the the place I always recommend to folks, because it's the place I always find easiest to start and it works for me, may not work for everybody, is what part of your job do you like the least or that's the most repetitive? Start there. I usually give the example, part of my job, it's part of just anything in corporations. PowerPoints come with it. The more you move up, the more PowerPoints you do. I literally now for the last, at least last six months, if I'm driving in and sitting in traffic in Washington, I'll dictate notes to myself for two minutes, just, hey, I need to do this, we should cover this point, that point. I will then hit a function that I built in, just like a verbal prompt, that it then, and then say, write this up, put it in three slides, put it in my inbox. I get in the office, it's already been sent to the transcriber, it transcribed, it transferred it over to the AI, the AI read, oh, and turned it into PowerPoint slides and consolidated and it's waiting for me. Now I just edit it or copy paste it into PowerPoint. And my next step is being back to the lazy, connecting it actually to just either generate the PowerPoint and put it in slides. That has made my life so much better. It's not even funny because I don't know if anyone else has the syndrome, but if I don't want to do something, I will go get root canal before I get to that thing, but it's still hanging over me and I feel like, and now I'm just knocking it out on the drive. Cool, I'm done. So it's a good place to start. In terms of tips, a couple of key places, I mean, there's a lot. The first place that I definitely recommend for anybody is there's something called Langchain. It's definitely nerdy, L-A-N-G-C-H-A-I-N. It's the application that everybody's using to build on top of. It just makes things easier. It abstracts things out. But their documentation is so phenomenal that you could go through and it explains a lot of concepts along with the tips going with it. So you could ignore if you don't want to deal with Python encoding and just go straight to, hey, here's what we're recommending and here's paths to go. LearnPrompting.org is another one. Actually, University of Maryland student uh, launched that. I love that one. First things first, which is do not use it. This will sound odd given what we've said. Don't use it for facts. It's good at abstracting information, explaining things. It's good for treating it like Google. But fundamentally, these models have no idea what a fact is or what fiction is. What's a key concept without going too nerdy is all of these things, what's underlying them is what's called a completion model, which is exactly what it sounds like. Here's something, complete it. Completion models are going to complete. Terminator's going to terminate. Play is going to play. Completion model's going to complete. If it has no idea what to do, it's still going to complete. And it'll make something up if it doesn't know what to do. So always make sure to do the equivalent of, if you are asking a factual question, say, if you're not sure, please just say, I don't know. 
Literally, that simple statement cures 90 plus percent of the issues you'd run into where it starts making things up. The more obscure the facts you're looking for, the more likely it is to lapse into that. Folks are working on that right now. That's one place I'd definitely start. The second, and it sounds be specific, garbage in, garbage out. In when I describe this to folks who do web development, I usually start off with who here has gotten a requirement where the requirement says, I need a website. Okay. And it's like, and you know, no matter what you do, the person could say, that's not what I expected. And the obvious is get the requirements. It's the same thing here. If you say, give me, could you make a chart? It'll make you a chart. It'll make up the information. It'll give you a chart. If you say, give me a chart on population, it'll give you a chart on population. May not be the population. If you say, I'm looking for the census data from 1960 to the present in five-year increments, and can you please chart it? And then go do projections based on whatever standard algorithm you think is best for the next 30 years. Do it on a white background with this on the x-axis and this on the y-axis with a blue line, and I can keep going on and on. It'll do exactly that. What do you want? And you could also correct it. If it does things, the weirdest one I had, which was my last eureka moment of like, oh my God, I didn't even know that would work, was a couple of weeks ago where I was doing a demo and I said, I always do this. You go through and you have it do examples of summarizing or what have you. And it's like, who speaks a language other than English fluently? Someone shouted out Greek. I just said, and can you please translate this into Greek? It translated. I said, how did it do? And the guy on the phone said, eh, it's a little wooden, but it's understandable. And I literally typed, our native Greek speaker says you suck at Greek. Can you please do better? And it said, oh, I'm sorry. And it regenerated. And the guy said, oh my God, that is so much better. Now, of course, part of me wants to say, why don't you just start out with the better one, GPT, or back to, it's just the way it is. If it doesn't- Because GPT itself is also lazy. <laughs> so exactly. I didn't know you actually wanted me to try. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's just right. Oh, wait, oh, you wanted me to put effort into this. So now literally when we ask it to translate behind the scenes, we leave things like, Please make sure to spend the time to do a highly accurate job. If you're not sure, you could leave notes. Please do proper punctuations. Use, if we're saying translate Spanish, we'll be specific. Use colloquial Latin American Spanish versus European Spanish. And like everything else, the more information you get, the closer it gets to be what you want. Don't be afraid to correct it. You mentioned something about roles and giving it a role. Yes. And I was curious about that. One, because like, what do you advise around that? And then I'm also curious, why do you advise around that? Is that just, we don't know it works better? Or is there actually like, do you understand why? So kind of going back to the original thing, in some things that it does, even the people who built it don't understand why some things work and some things don't, which tends to freak people out that there's something mysterious going on. No, it's nothing mysterious. It's dealing with literally someone once explained to me and said, when the transformer happens, it's 1500 dimensional math. And I'm like, okay, I know three dimensions. What are 1500 dimensions? They start explaining. I'm saying, it's doing magic in this case. Cool. We're moving on. So it's don't know. But in other words, from the beginning, when it's going, that was one of the advice that the GPT folks would say and others early on is if you say, you are a QA engineer, you are a script developer, you are an assistant, give it a persona when you're starting off. So that's basically like, if I'm okay, I'm a producer at a game company and I'm trying to get information out of it. Then I say like, you are a producer at a game company. And now I ask for my specific inquiry and then start interacting with it in that way. And I'll get better results than if I don't add that initial line. You absolutely will. Because one way, it's kind of for lack of a better term. And again, this is, this is just my way of thinking about it, not how it works, because I'm not going to pretend otherwise. It's like starting out with a circle and you've now given it a 15 degree radius to work within. Now it's just going right, to refine. And right. all, and the more you tell it, the 
tighter and tighter the art gets to getting specific. And by the way, one of the things relating to producer, one of my favorite things, just before I forget, on the tips is usually when I'm done with a task, I will always do this at the end, which is based on everything that we've talked about, what would you recommend I do or do that I didn't ask you about? What would you do differently? What did we miss? And I would say more than half the time, I get back information, go, oh, crap, that's a good point. And part of what we're working on in others is it's almost trying to be so helpful that it's sometimes hard setting it at a persona of like, the reason why I say, if you don't know, say, I don't know, is it seems to be, at least in current versions, very hard to say, if you don't know, ask. It's really hard. I've seen people and we have ways of doing it, but it takes a lot of effort to basically turn it into a, let me ask you a question or let me stop. That seems to be much harder to get it to do than just say, sorry, I don't know. And you're just taking that as a cue to rephrase the question. Yeah, yeah. No, okay. So we finished an interaction. It's given me something. I'm, I'm going, oh, that's, that was useful or not or whatever. And then go, cool. What did I miss? Or what is something else that you would recommend in this space that I didn't ask you about? And it'll actually attempt to generate something useful. Oh, yeah. I've given it requirements. And it says, well, I would really recommend that you put in security requirements. You didn't cover that at all. And um, user interaction research would indicate that's not the right way to approach a search. You might want to think about this. But meanwhile, it didn't offer that. It was busy doing what I was telling it to do. Yes. So like everything else, it's almost like no different in the sense I hate to, I really try to not to compare it to people, but it's really the only logical interaction. It's like you ever work with somebody who if you tell them to do something that ends up driving into a wall, they'll do it. You say, why? And you say, that's what you told me to do. That's yeah, basically right. the mode that it's default in. Yeah, it's funny because it's when I think about like an artificial general intelligence, as we were mentioning earlier, you would expect that if we were at that point, it's like, that's kind of what I'd expect from artificial general intelligence. Whereas this completion model, like the generative right. model is is more just like, yeah, I answered your question. I did it. Yeah. Oh, you want more? Oh, you have to ask. Right. Like, I, I can't, I can't, because I'm not actually, like you said, there is no intelligence there. I'm not actually thinking about it. Right. I'm just completing the quarry. I'm statistically looking at the everything that I've ever looked at, which is basically the entire world of information for all intents and purposes, and statistically saying, these are the words I should put in this order, which just happens to answer your question. It's almost like, literally, it's like, it's coincidental that it's answering your question, but really mathematically, it's not coincidental. It's answering your question yeah. based on what's next and what's next. Let's actually like kind of dovetail this into talking about game development specifically, because you've been super clear and gracious about the fact that your background is enterprise and that's the sort of space you've been operating in. And I think between the three of us, Ben and I have a deep understanding of game development and you have a deep understanding of AI. So we can, I think we can have a good time here spitballing about what a, a world might look like. And, you know, as you can imagine, there's already investment in this space. I would say, and I hope somebody doesn't crucify me here for misspeaking, but it seems like the trend in game development is around content creation specifically. It seems like that's where the the reasonable use case has like the pieces have landed and everyone's like, okay, well, if I can get this thing to do NPC dialogue, for example, like if you play a multiplayer online RPG, you know, you go up to a, somebody who gives you a quest and they say, hey, I'm Farmer Jack and I need you to gather my pumpkins. And if you keep clicking on Farmer Jack, he just says the same damn thing every time. And then he maybe says thank you or something different. That's all pre-scripted when you come back and give him the pumpkins back. But what if Farmer Jack could have a conversation with you? What if you could type to Farmer Jack and then Farmer Jack could respond with something somewhat more creative and immersive and, and engaging? 
So another example is, you know, we have a lot of people doing a lot of work creating art assets and creating level design, or not level design, just creating the levels themselves, actually, like once there is a clear design that we want. And and could we, and especially now that open world games are such a mainstay where it's like almost like how much content you can create for some time has been a factor on which many AAA games are heavily gated. Well, and we already had procedural generation exactly. to try to solve some of it, but it was just rough. Yeah, exactly. And so like, what if AI can really help accelerate that and we can feed AI and AI can start building out the world and the mountains and the rivers and the, all this stuff for us, right? Absolutely. And so I think there's probably more there that people are thinking about, but it seems to be focused in the content space specifically. Mm-hmm. I would say content is what I'd call like the first level. It makes sense for content generation. From experience and going through this, it writes fine. Does it write inspired? No, not really. Once you get past the gee whiz, I told it to write an iambic pentameter and it wrote perfect iambic pentameter. When you read, it's like, yeah, okay, it's cool. But yeah, if you actually wanted something good, it's a 70% effort. It's a 75% effort. So back to people who should be worried. If you're phoning in your job and you're a writer, you should absolutely be worried. If you're a good writer, you got nothing to worry about. Nothing's coming for you anytime soon. So that's one area. What I think is interesting is like taking, let's say, the the NPC that you're talking about, where you could have an interaction. Take it a step further using the GPU. What if you're walking up and talking to the person and say, hey, I need help. Can you help me out? What's involved if you're letting the GPU drive the character? People are having it fly drones. People are having it play video games and learn video games. It's basically teaching it the controls. Now, again, I want to be clear. I have no idea the implications. I don't know the architecture, if that's even remotely something could even be allowed within Unity. But from a pure technical standpoint, there's no different than it answering you, than it saying, yeah, that makes sense. I'll follow you. Than it knowing to hit the button to go right to follow you and then doing what comes next and what comes next. Yeah, so now now you can actually potentially create uh, much more sophisticated bots, essentially, that can actually do a lot of things that you might not have access to if you were just playing by yourself. There's a stark contrast between a cooperative or player versus player kind of environment. And it's like, well, what if, and again, I, I don't even know what the limitations are technologically there, but I will say that in most games where human ingenuity is a big factor, especially in competitive games, bots tend to be kind of like almost like a casual kind of like alternative, but they they tend to be too stupid in most ways to really replace players in any meaningful way. Part of that's because when you when you crank the numbers on bots, because there have been games that like you can make the bot so it just always kills the player. It's actually not hard. It's incredibly easy. What's hard is tuning it just right for different difficulty levels so that it actually feels like a consistent experience. Because it's like, oh, as soon as a player comes into view, immediately headlock it and hit it with like a one-hit kill weapon that you that you knew exactly how to get to faster than any player could, right, from, from game start and all that stuff. The tuning's a good point, yeah. And that probably would feel bad. One of the aspects of building a game where it had that sort of openness around NPCs, and actually one of the reasons I think NPCs we think of that and we go, that would be so cool. Imagine I could have a conversation with Farmer Jack and he would talk to me and he'd tell me about his wife and his grandmother and the stories of his children and all that. And then, and then I would go into his house and I would find out that he doesn't have a wife, 
right? And he's actually single, but like, but it just completed. So I'd have to put, for every character, I'd have to put all these rules in place to make sure it's not actually violating its own experience by completing. But take it, let's say for the background though, but take it two steps out. And again, this is just me spitballing, you know, in terms from this conversation, take it a couple of steps out. Now as the writer, so a technical example, and it will make sense in under 15 seconds. Folks at Stanford were playing around with an open source model, and usually the big problem with doing this is you need clean data, garbage in, garbage out, if you, you know, see so any yeah. clean data. What they had on was an interesting novel approach, which in retrospect, and this is all of less than two months old, seems obvious, but wasn't obvious to anyone, is they found 200 clean examples and then went to GPT and said, here's 200 examples, give me 50,000 more of these. Then took that, fed it into the model, and it worked great, mm-hmm. it worked fine, they were done faster, they'd given it examples and it ran with it. Playing with that example, it could be the far, using the Farmer Jack example, and again, me making it up. Okay, GPT, here's the character. It's Farmer Jack. He's a farmer. He's not married. I need you to come up with rules that keep this consistent. Here's the player's biography. Now you could go and say, I need 50 more Farmer Jacks, but shuffle up careers and try to vary these things and whatever else. Humans in the loop are absolutely important. But now you're in edit mode, which is cool. Now I'm reading 50 scripts and generate going, no, nah, this isn't right. Change this, change that, yeah. as opposed to having to write 50 from scratch. Now, if I'm using like a mid journey, I say, here's basically 50 examples of what an NPC should look like. Can you go give me a thousand more variations on this? And I look at the nope, nope. Yep, I'll keep that one. Yep, I'll keep that one. Like you still want to have an art director there who's establishing a style guide, creating like if you've got sort of a faction or a faction system inside of your game at all, like this is sort of the shape language and these sorts of things that define. You give it rules and now yeah. you, and now you check like everything else. It's to your point earlier, back to like the force multiplier, as opposed to writing one script. Now you can potentially write one or two scripts and have a hundred other scripts that you're just editing and double checking. And what can you do if right. you have that flexibility to say, because from the computer standpoint, yeah. the difference between a hundred and a thousand and a hundred thousand is basically zero. It's your ability to go through and edit it. What you're talking about is the idea that the impact AI could have on game development, perhaps it will have this impact, is that we will collectively be leaning more into our decision-making capability than we are on our ability to, quote-unquote, get work done. Mm-hmm. And so, so many games right now are throttled by their ability to produce assets. What I wonder if this will do ultimately is force a reckoning in our industry, which is that, hey, in a world where we aren't constantly buried under all the little tasks that we have to do every day, can we actually make good decisions? Mm-hmm. Because that's what we're, that's going to be our job. That might be the only way we're assessed as far as our performance is how good are the decisions we can make. And I think that, Aaron, is like, we're, we're all going to have to step more into game dev from that perspective of how am I creating the amazing experience. So Aaron and I were producers, right? We weren't on the content creation side, except from a leadership of teams kind of perspective where like, I did my fair share of PowerPoints. I did my fair share of fiddling around in work management systems like Jira or Favreau or Trello or Excel or Gantt charts and Visio and other like Microsoft project, like all that stuff. Other forms of torture that isn't called torture for legal reasons. Exactly. Right. I'm just curious for a leader in technology or a leader in game dev in this case, like here might be some opportunities for you. Oh, dear heavens. Anything relating to process, if either if you can't do it right now, you're going to be able literally ahead of meeting last week. 
went like this on Tuesday. We're like, what's everybody's pain? Where do we get the best use? And almost everybody said some variation of, okay, yeah, Confluence is great, except there's 15 years of stuff and you can't find anything. So it's a wonderful resource that nobody can find anything. I'm sure none of this sounds familiar to anybody. Yes. Oh my gosh. Along with, did somebody file a ticket? Well, only 17 times. It's just, they called it all different things and different labels. And we're like, we got to tackle that. That was Tuesday. On Thursday, Atlassian announced AI Assistant in preview where they're building it in on search. We'll just be able to say, hey, is there anything relating to this? Or, hey, can you help me write this confluence? Or, hey, can you file a ticket for me? And just basically no different than like what's built into Slack and other tools where you could just say, except now you don't even have to fill it out. You can just type in and say, there's a bug with this. Let somebody know. And it will fill in all the gaps for you. So I want to give you an opportunity to do any call to action. What is it that you would like to plug anything you want to talk about? To be perfectly honest, I wasn't here to plug anything. I love these kind of conversations. It was great speaking with both of you. If I had to do one plug, when my wife asked me why I'm so late coming home, particularly with a college friend in town, I'm using you guys as an excuse of why I was meeting so late with a college friend. So Fair Jen, you see, here's proof I was doing this. So thanks everyone for joining us today. Before I even get into all the points, if you don't know where to start, just talk to it. Just start talking to it. If you don't know anything about AI, go onto ChatGPT right now and just start asking it questions. If you don't even know what it can do, ask it what it can do. Just start talking to it. Here are a couple takeaways from this episode talking about AI with our good friend, Bill. Number one, AI can help and often in ways we do not expect. Number two, currently, AI is best viewed as a force multiplier on human effort. For a lot of creative work, it makes the people doing it better. It does not replace them. Number three, AI is not super intelligence, but it is now a platform that is opening a ton of doors for a ton of use cases. Number four, nobody knows exactly how AI will pan out. We will be discovering things daily. You're not more than five months behind if you start studying this and working with it today. Number five, what part of your job do you like the least? This is a great place to start if you wanna start tinkering with this right now. Number six, AI does not know fact from fiction. Make sure to tell it to let you know if it's not sure or if it has any additional questions. Number seven, Give ChatGPT or any AI a role and outline the nature of that role so that you can turn an infinite play area into a much smaller space where it can give you more accurate, more measured information. Did you enjoy this content? Every two weeks, we will deliver one actionable step that will increase your chances of delivering a successful game straight to your inbox. Join game developers across the world and sign up for the Building Better Games newsletter at www.buildingbettergames.gg forward slash newsletter. Again, that's www.buildingbettergames.gg forward slash newsletter. Thanks for listening.